Hail and well met, everyone. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a podcast by a nerd for other nerds that love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather, and I'll be your host as we journey into the wondrous land of information. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Geek Thyself. We all grow up with stories about the monsters that go bump in the night and behave yourself or the boogeyman is going to get you. But the stories we grow up with are not necessarily the same ones that are told across the world. Today, I'm going to be talking about yokai, which are Japanese monsters, the Japanese boogeymen. Yokai vary a lot from region to region, and there are quite a few that are widespread and known across Japan, but there are hundreds of them that are also known only in small little local areas. You could have a small village or a neighborhood that actually has its very own yokai that's not known anywhere else. And that's one of the things that I think is so fascinating about them. Because of this, they've become extremely varied, extremely different. There's all sorts of different creatures, different shapes, different sizes, different abilities, different things they go after. And they're quite unique. And so today I'm going to be discussing some of those. There's too many for me to cover all of them, but I'm going to cover some of them. One of the things I'm going to start off with, though, is explaining yokai, the kanji for it, can actually translate to otherworldly and weird. And there's also different types of yokai. Some of them are more physical, some of them are more spiritual. There's a couple different terms that get used for some of them. Mononoke, like Princess Mononoke, the movie from Studio Ghibli, is actually the word for spirits or ghosts or specters, that kind of thing. And then uh, Bakemono is another one, and that roughly translates to monsters. So any sort of monster or creature, like an ogre or something like that, would be called a Bakemono. Though it wasn't until after the end of the 17th century that the term yokai actually became more commonly used. It started most likely due to a book that became very famous at the time. It was a collection of different illustrations of yokai by a particular artist, Sekien Toriyama, and it came out in 1776. It was called Gazu Hyaki Yako, which roughly translates to Illustrated Demon's Night Parade. The Night Parade is actually what they call it also when a quote-unquote supernatural event where hundreds of yokai come together occurs. They'll march and they'll scare people, that sort of thing. But some of the other terms that were used prior to his book ended up being used to then refer to specific types of yokai. So like I mentioned, the mononoke term gets used for spirits. Bakemono or obake are shapeshifter yokai, so things that can change shape from either human to animal or just change their shape in general. Another term is ayakashi, which refers to something that is water-related, so some sort of spirit over water or spirit around water. Another one is yure, which refers to spirits that haven't crossed over for some reason, so essentially that refers to ghosts. One term that I do want to make sure that I clarify for everyone is the term kaiju, Kaiju specifically refers to the monster movie genre that involves the gigantic monsters fighting things and destroying things, like Godzilla movies. It often gets used incorrectly to refer to Japanese monsters, but technically kaiju specifically refers to that movie genre. And then any other monster is 
considered a yokai. It's a fairly common misconception that I've heard before, so I just wanted to make sure I clarified that before we kept going. So I'm going to start off by discussing the three most widely known yokai. Now this doesn't necessarily mean that they're everyone's favorite, but they are the three that are most widely spread throughout Japan and that most people will recognize. Even if you're not familiar with Japanese folklore, Japanese fairy tales, you may still have heard of these three because they've been used in other movies and just they're, they're sort of iconic. The first one is the kappa. The kappa is an amphibious yokai. It looks somewhat frog-like in terms of its body shape and has a tortoise shell on its back. It's known also for having a beak-like mouth, a lot like a turtle's. And it sometimes even gets sort of characterized as more turtle-like than frog-like, depending on the depiction. It's also known to have a depression on the top of its head, somewhat like a bowl or a basin that has water in it. And if that water ever dries up, that's one of the ways that the kappa can become either weakened or even die. It is known for being used to keep children away from the edge of rivers and lakes. And that's probably how it originated was a story to keep children from getting too close to the edge of the water. But what they'll do is they'll pull people under the water and drown them. They are often said to not harm children or the innocent. They'll often help those people to shore, but co more commonly they will pull people under the water and drown them. They are so common and so well known that there's actually even proverbs that involve kappa and there's a type of sushi that gets called kappa sushi, which is a very simple uh, roll of rice with the nori the seaweed on the outside, and in the middle is some cucumber, because cucumber is said to be the kappa's favorite food. It's one of the ways you're supposed to be able to get away from them, because if you throw a cucumber behind it, it'll go after the cucumber and leave you alone. The next most commonly known one is the tanuki. Tanuki is a raccoon dog, and it's actually a real-life animal that exists in Japan called the tanuki. It's a little... Uh, relative of the Asian raccoon dog. It looks it looks like a cross between a raccoon and a dog. Pretty cute, actually. But in mythology and folklore, they often get used as tricksters. They're known for having um, big raccoon faces, and they wear the conical straw hats. And then they often also have enormous testicles, which sounds really weird, I know, but it's true. They're known for having those three things. And the testicles are actually one of the things that give them some of their abilities. It's said that they can use them to do things like protect themselves or that they help them shape shift into other forms. They're known to be able to change into human forms. And some stories talk about them even changing into human form and then tricking people out of money by giving them leaves instead of cash. They're also known for playing tricks on people by turning into everyday household objects that then get brought into the home and then they cause havoc while they're there. They're generally not considered violent yokai. They tend to be more on the prankster side. They might do pranks that are considered cruel or, you know, not very nice, but they're not going to necessarily go out and kill anybody. The third most well-known yokai, and just to be clear, I didn't rank these, I just this is the third one I'm talking about, is the kitsune, otherwise known as the nine-tailed fox or the Japanese fox. Now, again, this is another one where the animal actually exists. Kitsune actually also refers to the Japanese red fox. 
However, in this particular instance, I'm referring to it as the fox demon. It is a fox. It might have started as a real fox or some sort of spirit that took on that form. It can have many tails or it can also be sort of a human form. It has a couple of different options. It's said that they, as they gain supernatural abilities, they gain tails. And the ultimate form is sort of the nine-tailed fox. They are also tricksters, although they are known for being more dangerous than the tanuki and also tend to be more cruel. One of their games that they like to play on people is tricking them into eating pieces of dung, pieces of feces, which is definitely not a nice trick. It's I would argue that that is definitely worse than the tanuki taking some of your money and giving you leaves, because at least that's just a couple bucks. But that's just my opinion. Kitsune are known for being more dangerous than the tanuki, but they're still primarily tricksters, though they will sometimes attack people. There are stories of them doing that. There's also stories, though, of them being more neutral or benign, and there have been mythical tales, folklore, of people who even claim to have fox blood in them. Like, somewhere along the line, a kitsune joined their family, had children, and then probably left again, but who knows. So those are the three yokai that I would argue are the most widely known and most widespread across Japan. The kappa, the tanuki, and the kitsune. And yes, that's Mowgli meowing in the background. Sorry about that. Next, I'm going to talk about some that are other sort of classic yokai, ones that are very widely known, but not necessarily as commonly discussed or pictured and whatnot as the three I've already talked about. The first one is the Karasu Tengu, or the Raven Tengu. Now, this one gets seen in movies and stuff sometimes. It is the somewhat humanoid raven with the big wings on its back. It's usually got a beaked face and claws. I've seen some um, manga where they're depicted as being able to shapeshift into humans. And they're, you know, it's manga, so of course they're extremely attractive and all that stuff. They're known for having tremendous strength and shape-shifting abilities. They can also cloud human minds and sometimes even possess them in some stories. They're known for being tricksters, but they're also known for being very dangerous. They're strong and deadly. The second one is another type of tengu. It's called the Hanadaka Tengu, or long-nosed tengu. This one is known for being huge and really muscular and really good at fighting. And they also have some shape-shifting ability and also some mimicry ability. They also have fans that are made out of leaves, or at least shaped like leaves. And those fans are known for being able to cause very strong gusts of wind. And they are also known for playing tricks on wayward souls, but generally leaving good people alone. So they're one where if you have a pure heart and you're a good person, you're probably fine. Whereas if you're not one of those things, you might want to steer clear. They're prevalent also in different stories. There's a childhood story that I grew up with talking about uh, two of the Hanadaka Tengu, the long-nosed Tengu, who were sitting on opposite hills. Their fans, in addition to creating strong winds, could also make their noses grow. The green Tengu used his fan to grow his nose and it ended up in a princess's backyard and she and her friends were having a party and they hung kimonos and robes on it thinking it was a pole for them to use. 
And then when he pulled his nose back in, he had all of these beautiful kimono and robes and and things like that, beautiful cloth all over his nose. So his friend, who was on the opposite hill, the red tengu, got jealous, and he used his fan to grow his nose, trying to also acquire something beautiful, like the green tengu. Unfortunately for the red tengu, his nose ended up in a young boy's house at a young prince's house where they were also having a party with a lot of friends but the boys didn't hang pretty robes on his nose they climbed it and swung on it and they carved their names into it so essentially treating it like a tree limb so it's a cautionary tale about sort of like the grass is always greener on the other side you know don't be jealous of what someone else has be happy with what you already have because the red tengu definitely was not happy to have his nose carved up and rubbed off and scratched at and all of that. Another classic yokai is the zashiki warashi, which is a long name. I know it's zashiki warashi and it is a ghost that resembles a small child. It often takes the form of a roughly five-year-old child in traditional Japanese dress, and this is a household yokai. So instead of living out in the mountains or by a river, it lives in people's houses. It's actually supposed to be sort of a pleasant ghost. It's a pleasant spirit for the most part. What it does is it can bring good fortune to your house, and it'll do little tricks like it might play music in the other room when there's no one there, or it might um, make, you know, little pitter-patter noises across the ground and children laughing. It might hang out with a large group of children if you happen to have one in your house, that sort of thing. But it's not generally violent. However, if you don't have a happy household, if you don't maintain your household and keep it nice, the zashikiwarashi will leave. And that's when you start to have trouble because as soon as it leaves, you end up getting horrible luck. We're talking about things like injured family members, bankruptcies, general disaster, domestic strife, divorce. So if you happen to buy a home with a zashikiwarashi, you want to make sure you maintain it very nicely and treat your family well. And again, this is another one where it likely started off as sort of a moral for having a good relationship with your family and maintaining your household so that it doesn't fall into disrepair, that sort of thing. But regardless, if you think you have a zashikiwarashi in your house, I would definitely make sure you keep up the maintenance. Another classic yokai that's been around for a very long time is the funayure. Funayure are spirits of people who have drowned at sea, and they are, for obvious reasons, found at sea. They will show up in the distance as lights on the water sometimes, or you'll see a skeletal ship crew coming towards you on a small fishing boat. They often are some form of dead. Now, they might be skeletal, they might have some flesh still on them, but they're tattered clothing. One of their defining features is that they are almost universally depicted with small triangular headdresses on. These are used in Japanese Buddhist funerals. You've probably seen them in movies at least once or twice. They are the white kerchief-looking headdresses that are triangular-shaped sticking up from the forehead, almost like a pyramid on your forehead with a white band around the back. And they all wear those, and they're known for coming up to sailors in the water, and they'll ask for your ladle. And if you don't give them one, they'll capsize your boat. If you do give them one, they'll use that ladle to then fill your boat with water. 
The ladles that I'm referring to, the traditional Japanese ladle, often looks like a small cup on a long stick. And they're used for bailing out the boats when you're fishing. You don't have to move around. They're easier to use than a big bucket. But another reason that they're also likely what the funayure ask for is that in certain regional dialects, inata, which is a variation of the word for ladle, is also slang for fishermen. And it's actually still very common practice for fishermen in more rural regions or just in general to carry a bottomless ladle with them. So they'll take a ladle and they'll either poke a lot of holes in it or they'll just cut the bottom out. Because then if you run into a funayure, you can give them the ladle with no bottom. They won't capsize you and they can't fill your boat with water because nothing's going to hold in that ladle since there's no bottom. A skeleton made of many different bodies and many different bones comes towards you, and you know you're in the presence of an odokuru. Odokuru is a yokai that is known for being comprised of multiple bodies of skeletons. Sometimes they're depicted also as having fresh skeletons because they kill their victims and take the bones. They are similar to a zombie in that they go after human flesh, they only come out at night, and basically they are just giant skeletons coming at you. The odokuru often gets depicted as being part of the night parade that I mentioned earlier. It's usually a big part of it. Literally big also, since the combination of many skeletons can be gigantic. The last sort of classic yokai that I'm going to talk about is actually more of a grouping or subcategory of yokai. It's called Tsukumogami. Tsukumogami are haunted relics, so haunted everyday items. Traditionally, they were items that had been used for over 99 years and that were then discarded for some reason. So like a family vase that got passed down from generation to generation but then got thrown away because of a chip in the paint. Something like that could then turn around and become a Tsukumogami. They're generally not known for being violent. They tend to be seeking to chastise the family for not taking better care of their possessions by scaring them. So they'll do things maybe like move themselves around or, you know, cause little minor disturbances that are creepy, but they're not necessarily going to go hurt anybody. But they are such a widely known idea that even nowadays people will take their dolls that they've loved for years but are no longer using because the children have grown up. They'll take those dolls to temples and burn them in special ceremonies to ensure that that doll doesn't turn around and become a tsukumogami. Because nowadays it doesn't necessarily have to be something that's been around for 99 years. It could be something that was just well used and well loved by the family. This superstition that your household items could come back as haunted items if you don't take care of them is also one of the reasons for a New Year's tradition called Susu Harai. Essentially, it's a New Year's cleaning. So instead of spring cleaning, at New Year's, they go through and they clean and take care and maintain their household items. One of the reasons why is because of this superstition of haunted relics coming back. And with that, I'm going to take a break talking about yokai to discuss some of the other wonderful shows and productions that we have here at Nerdsmith. (laughs) 
So first off, I want to start by thanking my listeners. I'm incredibly happy to have you listening, and I hope that you're enjoying the information and the different topics I've been discussing. Please don't forget that you can contact me on Twitter at amethyst underscore magic, and that's magic with a CK, or you can contact us via the Nerdsmith Twitter at WeAreNerdsmith, and let me know if there's any different questions or different topics you want me to discuss. I can't promise that I can cover all of them, but I definitely want to hear what you're interested in learning about. If you'd like to support my show or any of the others here at Nerdsmith, please don't forget to go to our website, nerdsmith.org, and go to the donate page where you can either do a one-time donation or if you want to continue supporting us and also possibly get some perks, you can join as a subscriber at either the minion, sidekick, or champion level. I'd also like to tell you about the newest actual play podcast to join Nerdsmith. They've actually been here for a couple of weeks now. That is Chaotic Goodness. I highly recommend them. They are playing in the Uncharted Worlds game setting. They are in space. So it's very different from Shenanigans, which I mentioned last week. They're in space. They're on a spaceship hopping from station to station, planet to planet. A lot of fun, chaotic goodness ensues, and I highly recommend that you check them out. Another show that I recommend checking out is Dear DM, hosted by Joe Collins. In each episode, Joe gets together with another DM, and they answer different questions and discuss different topics about DMing a good game, and they have different advice and tips for you every episode. So I definitely recommend you check that out as well. All of these shows and other great content can be found at nerdsmith.org. You can also download them anywhere you download your podcasts, including iTunes and other applications. And with that, we'll head back into discussing different types of yokai. Okay, so the next type of yokai that I want to talk about are some of the animal-related ones. Now, the tanuki and the kitsune that I discussed earlier are two of the more well-known animal ones, but there are some others as well. The first one I want to talk about is called the neko mata, which translates to forked cat. It specifically refers to some sort of cat yokai, usually house cat sized but sometimes bigger and it has a forked tail so it has two tails instead of just one it is a yokai that is known for being able to raise the dead they can jump over a dead body and bring it back to life and then they can control it they are said to occur when a cat reaches a certain age and the stories vary from 11 to 40 years old um, now, 11 is a pretty common age for a cat nowadays, although I can honestly say I've never met a cat that was 40 years old. That's a really long time for a cat to live. So the idea is they reach that point and then they turn into spirits and their tail splits and they gain supernatural abilities. They do have stories talking about them eating humans, although that's not always what they do. And it's easiest to avoid them by not abusing cats and other animals. One of the things they're known for is going after people who are cruel to cats or who were cruel to them in life and also people who were cruel to animals in general. So just don't do it, which I'm 100% behind anyway. 
The next animal-related yokai that I want to talk about is actually essentially the Japanese chimera. It's called a nue. Nue is an animal that has the head of a monkey, a raccoon body, it has tiger legs, and a snake for a tail. So its tail actually is a snake, and there is usually a snake head depicted at the end of the tail. It's not a particularly violent yokai, despite the fact that it has all of these, you know, tiger limbs and a snake tail. You know, it sounds like something that might physically attack people, but it's actually more known for inducing illness rather than actually causing physical damage. There's one story that talks about a Nue appearing above the Imperial Palace and causing the Emperor to become very sick and ultimately perish. They can cause illness and then kind of suck the life out of people. But they're not known for actually physically attacking people, just the illness part. The last animal-related yokai that I want to talk about is called Teso. Teso translates to Iron Rat. And the story of Teso actually starts off with a monk named Raigo. Raigo was not given a promised reward for a service he did for a high noble family, and he ended up going on a hunger strike to protest. The hunger strike ultimately led to his demise, and when he passed away, he became Teso, the Iron Rat. What he then did as Teso was rampage through some of his rival's temples, and he had gained the ability to control rats, so sort of like a Pied Piper-esque sort of deal. What he did is he controlled this huge horde of rats, and he went rampaging through his rival's temples and destroyed a bunch of their holy manuscripts by eating them. So he's known for eating holy scripture as opposed to attacking people or anything like that. It's also said that his iron fangs are indestructible. Some stories say that eventually he and his rats were lured into a pit and buried alive. Other stories say that he's still at large and that the plague of rats eventually ended because he'd gone through all of his rival's temples already. No one really knows for sure. But moving on, I want to talk about some of the harmless yokai. There are quite a few of them, so again, I'm just going to talk about a few. The first one is the Jin Menju. The Jin Menju is a tree. It's usually depicted as some sort of tropical looking tree, and it's very, very laden with fruit, just tons and tons of fruit on all the branches. What's weird about it, though, is that all of the fruits actually have little human faces on them. They're not known for doing any harm to people in the forest or anything like that, but what they'll do is they'll giggle at people as they're passing them by, or they'll watch them walk through the forest, so they're just a little weird. There are some stories also that talk about where if you eat the fruit of the Jin Menju tree, you'll have long life and vitality and all of that. Although, who would necessarily want to eat the fruit that looks like a human face? I'm not sure. But there are stories about it, so someone must have. The next one is actually a very classic sort of urban legend type yokai called Toire no Hanako, which translates to Hanako in the bathroom. Toire is the Japanese word for toilet. They took toilet and changed it slightly. And Hanako is a very old-fashioned girl's name. Hanako in the bathroom is the spirit of an elementary school girl. She's usually depicted with having the bobbed haircut with the bangs and a little red skirt. 
She's known for coming out in the day, which is unusual for most yokai because a lot of them come out at night. And they're generally not considered harmful. They might giggle or play tricks on somebody. But they're in some schools used as sort of a bravery test, which is something where they'll send people in to see if they're brave enough to be in the bathroom with Hanako. And some schools actually have a story behind it, and it's a well-known enough entity that they'll almost treat it like a mascot. Like, oh, no, our school has Hanako, that kind of thing. Another harmless yokai is Obarion. Obarion translates roughly to piggyback monster. It's this big creature that's known for plopping onto people's backs in the forest and having them carry him somewhere. The trick is that it doesn't hurt anybody permanently, but what it'll do is it'll grow heavier and heavier and heavier until the person can't move. And then once they stop moving, it'll get bored and go away. It's known for shouting obusarite and then plopping onto someone's back. And obusarite translates to give me a piggyback ride. So if you hear that cry and you're walking through a Japanese forest, I suggest you try to move quicker and hopefully it won't fall on you. Next up are some of the yokai that often get depicted as sexy in some way. Usually what happens is that one of their forms is of a beautiful young woman who's sexy and extremely attractive. And so she's able to lure men in with her good looks. The first one is Kuchi Sake Onna which translates to slashed mouth woman. She's often depicted as a beautiful woman who's wearing a medical mask across her face. And if she took that mask off, it would reveal a mouth that is slashed from ear to ear with extra sharp fangs and teeth. And what she'll do is she'll go up to someone and ask, Watashikire? Which means, am I beautiful? If you answer yes, she'll attack you. After she asks you, are you sure, when she takes her mask off. If you say no, then she'll still attack you. So it's kind of a no-win situation. She's also known for being extremely fast. So even if you try to run, you're probably not going to get away. She started out as an urban legend that's become more prevalent in a lot of different areas. And different cities and different neighborhoods even have their own versions of exactly what her origin is. Some say that she had a plastic surgery that went wrong. Others say it started out as someone who had a dental surgery that went wrong. One of the origin stories is also that she was a very beautiful woman who was attacked by her jealous sister that wasn't as attractive. The next quote-unquote sexy yokai is actually one of my favorite, and that is Yukionna. Yukionna translates to snow woman. She's supposed to be inhumanly beautiful with pale ethereal skin, long black hair, and usually depicted with blue lips. She's also usually shown to be walking through the snow, but she doesn't actually step into it, she floats over it. She is the spirit of someone who has perished in the snow, and up until the 18th century was uniformly depicted as evil, because she would go after people who were lost in the snow and blow on them or stare at them and freeze them to death. After the 18th century, there started to be more stories that showed her as being somewhat merciful also. One of them is a story of two woodcutters, a young one and an old one. They went into the woods to cut down trees when it was snowing, but they got lost, so they ended up seeking shelter in a small hut they found. They woke up to the old one having the yukiona over him, and she blew on him and froze him. Then she turned to the young one and was going to do the same, but he was so attractive she decided to let him go, but told him never tell anyone about this. 
A few years later, that young woodcutter found a beautiful woman and married her, and her name was Oyuki, and Yuki means snow. Fast forward a few years, they've lived happily, they've had a few children, and then one night he starts telling her about how her beauty reminds him of this woman he met in the snow. She changes back into the Yuki Onna, tells him, I told you I'd kill you if you ever told anyone, but since we have children, I'll leave you alone for their sake. And then she melts into a puddle and disappears. So that's a story that shows that at a certain point, they started to depict her as being somewhat more merciful in certain situations. One of the reasons that she's one of my favorite yokai is that she's also incredibly easy to use as a Halloween costume. All you have to have is some sort of white bathrobe that looks kimono-like. Make yourself really pale with some white face paint, long black wig, or if you have long hair, you use your hair. And then give yourself blue lips. That's it. Super easy, lots of fun. I've done it before and I highly recommend it. This episode ended up being a little longer than I meant it to be, but I just have two more yokai to talk about. These ones are what I would classify as weird, honestly, for lack of a better term that I can think of. They are just some really weird yokai where you gotta wonder who thought up this kind of a creature and why it needed to exist. The first one is called Akaname. Akaname is literally the bathtub liquor or the filth liquor. It's a red-skinned yokai and it is drawn to moldy and dirty bathrooms and the reason it's drawn there is because it eats the mold and mildew off of the bathtub. Now the reason behind its creation probably stems from what a traditional Japanese bathroom is like. Traditionally Japanese bathrooms are separated in terms of the toilets in one section and the bathtub is a completely different room sometimes. What would happen though in really, really old Japanese houses back when this yokai first came to be is that the actual bathtub was often outside. It would be like a little covered shed with one side missing or a door. The tub is in there, you go in and you soak in the tub, but between the wood and the fact that it's outside and all the wetness, mildew was a common problem if you weren't upkeeping the cleanliness of it on a regular basis. So the bathtub liquor came to be. The next weird one and our last yokai for this episode is Seto Taisho, which literally translates to General Seto. It's also referred to sometimes as the teapot samurai. It is a yokai that's comprised of different dinnerware, and it has a sake bottle for its head. So there's a face drawn onto the sake bottle. It will attack people with a tiny wooden spear, which is tipped with a rounded ceramic jug, like a sake bottle. So it can't actually damage anyone. It's more annoying, but it will charge at people. And they say that the easiest way to avoid it is either to move yourself out of the way when it's charging at you so that it falls on the floor, or to let it get bored with you because you ignore it and it'll eventually go attack somebody else. It first appeared in Sekien Toriyama's 1784 book, Gazu Hyaki Bukuru, which translates to an illustrated collection of many random creatures, which is a very good description of it. And he, uh, Toriyama actually created this yokai. It hadn't really existed before, but the concept was so cool that it became popular and now it's more widely known. Please remember to check out the other wonderful podcasts and productions here at nerdsmith.org. 
I'll be back next week with a new and interesting topic. And until then, don't forget to geek thyself. <laughs>